This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And we're finally talking about some pasta stuff. We are. And I have a pop quiz for you. Oh, yeah. Pop quiz. Yeah. Okay. Get ready. Yeah. All right. What is a lumacone? Oh, um, an ice cream cone with a flashlight in it. How did you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> How about gili? Um, that layer of like gel on top of an aspect. Oh, that's a good guess. But no. <laughs> I, I, I wonder how many people are like, that's one of the worst movies ever made. I've never seen it, but I have read that about that movie. I, I'm, I'm um, oblivious to this. Yes, yes. Blissfully oblivious. It is probably for the best. Perfect. Um, but this is a foodstuff show, and it's about pasta. So those are types of pasta. No. <laughs> I can't tell you beyond that, but I can tell you their types of pasta. Um, and thanks to listener Amy who suggested this because we're doing shapes of pasta, um, not specific, any specific type of pasta or pasta dish. We could probably make this whole show, this whole show. Just about pasta. Pasta stuff. Oh, my goodness. And, and I would I would listen to that show. I almost just said I would eat that show. <laughs> Are you a pasta fan? Oh, it's one of my favorite things. That that texture, the like kind of almost chewy texture. Mm-hmm. I daydream about pasta. This is one of the hungriest episodes I think I've ever had. Oh, and our, our coworker Joe McCormick went downstairs and got like one of the really lovely but pricey mm-hmm. plates of pasta for lunch. And mm. I was just like I was, <laughs> I was I was sort of mad about it. I, the look you just had on your face, I think I would have been afraid. I would have gone to go eat somewhere else. I think Lauren might attack me for my pasta dish. It was – I'm not going to say it was a near thing because I wouldn't mm. do that to Joe. He's, He's terrific. Nice, yeah. yeah. But anyway. Yes. Pasta um, shapes. Yeah. And Amy, uh, thank you again for this suggestion, 50 shapes of pasta. <laughs> um, and, yes, we, we can't talk about the origins of all of them because uh, – We'd be talking for years, which we're we're probably happy to do, but I don't know how much it makes sense on a a multitude of levels. Yeah, this is also not going to be a in-depth look at the the, the science and Mm -hmm. specific history of all of pasta. We're going to glance through some of it. Yeah, 
Yeah. But uh, mostly as it relates to shapes. Right. Yes. And I have a lot of um, a lot of pop culture things came to mind when uh, me personally, I was doing the research for this. I don't know if it did for you, Lauren, but um, one is the Seinfeld episode that I believe I've at least mentioned to Lauren about like multiple times, but maybe on this show before. Fusilli Jerry. Here you go, buddy. What is it? It's Fusilli Jerry. <laughs> the hard part is to find a pasta that captures the individual. Yeah. <laughs> Why Fusilli? Because you're silly. No. I don't okay. think so. <laughs> this is where um, Kramer was making um, sculptures, like little mini figurines of all the people in his oh, life. Oh, I do remember that one. Uh-huh. Based, and he would choose a pasta based on their personality. Right. So for Jerry, because he's funny or silly, he chose Fusilli Pasta. And then there's a whole other plot line going on at the same time as this where there's a proctologist involved. <laughs> and the, Jerry's joke about the proctologist is their stories always end with it's a million-to-one shot doctor, a million-to-one. And Oh, okay. Yep. All right. And putting George, it all together. Yeah, George's dad falls on top of Fusilli Jerry, and he— has to go to the proctologist, and he says it was a million, million to, to one, one shot, doctor. <laughs> a million to one. Um, <laughs> and as a as a kid, one of my favorite dishes. This is just like a personal thing for me. Um, was spaghetti, and I used to have this song, "Spaghetti is Ready," when it sticks to the wall, and I would sing it, and I would throw the noodles at the wall, and my mom would come in, and there'd be noodles everywhere because if it's ready, it's supposed to stick. I don't know. I don't know if that actually is true, but that's the test that I would do. I think there are cleaner tests. <laughs> you can just eat it. You can eat a piece, and if it no, there's no song about that. Well, actually, oh. there are. Yeah. Yeah. But this is one of my weirdest food things. Is I do not to this day eat. I, I keep separate the spaghetti sauce and the noodles. Okay, you you add it. Do, do you eat them separately, or do you I add them, them bite by bite? I eat them separately. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. And it's because I love the taste of the noodles so much, I don't want the spaghetti. To get in the way, the yeah. sauce to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, It's one of my weirdest food things, though. Even in college, I would ask for it separate, and the ladies in the <laughs> yeah <laughs> working, um, they would give me this look like, I'm not sure they'd ever been asked to do that before. I feel like I'm confessing some kind of deep secret about myself. Yeah, right I don't. Now. I I don't think that I've heard of someone doing that. That's it's one of my weirdest food things. Oh man, I've I've never. And now I'm realizing that I've just never watched you eat pasta. So yeah, I'm really bad at eating pasta. <laughs> I have friends that take pictures of me doing it, and Lauren and I have discussed this. It's because I have long hair. Oh yeah, and it just if you don't gets have a ponytail away. holder, yeah, it's difficult. And then the the noodles are long. It's a tricky thing to eat. It is. Apparently, Jay-Z is really good at it. Yes. <laughs> I was going to mention that later. Yeah, more, more, more on that later. But right now, pasta, pasta shapes, what is it? <laughs> it can be a variety of things. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's just a wild, I don't, I don't know, like a plethora of shapes you can find in the pasta world. Oh, goodness, a myriad a myriad, yes. Um, there are so many, um, and I guess sort of one of the questions right off the top of the bat that I had that a lot of people have when they see just how many there are is, does it, the shape, impact the taste or serve any real purpose at all? Yes. Yes? The answer is yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you answered the question. Okay. Episode over. Um, and I got to admit that I'm a person that generally has no idea what I'm going to get when I order pasta at a nicer Italian place, which for me for a long time was Macaroni Grill. <laughs> I have since graduated. Um, I, I can I could tell you what a macaroni is, fettuccine, angel hair, lasagna, ravioli, linguine. I thought I knew what tortellini was, but 
nope, <laughs> I was totally wrong. Oh. I found out when doing the research for this. But I did learn that the shape of tortellini is rumored to be inspired by Venus's belly button. The legend is that Venus stopped by a small village where two famous chefs, Bologna and Modena, um, and a peeping Tom of an innkeeper were, uh, and the peeping Tom innkeeper saw Venus undress through the keyhole and was inspired to make a filled pasta based on her belly button. Or other versions of the story have uh, Lucretia Borgia's belly button instead of Venus was the inspiration. Oh, there you go. Some lady's belly button. (laughs) And another fun fact I stumbled upon, uh, the possible origin of the name of the priest strangler pasta. Which I haven't heard of before, but so so what what does this look like? It looks like it's a really uneven tubular shape. Um, it kind of reminds me of in Chex Mix, that thin, there's that thin thing. Oh, okay, sure, the little squiggle. Yeah, the squiggle, but the, it's also got, like, ridges. Sure. It's a very uneven shape. Okay. I've never had it, but um, a local restaurant, um, Soto Soto in Atlanta, has pre-strangler pasta. Um, so it's twi- a tightly wound, uneven noodle shape, and it unri- originated in the Tuscan region, where once upon a time, priests got to eat all they wanted anywhere be it a house or restaurant, for free. And, oh, did they take advantage. (laughs) Owners of these establishments start to darkly joke that maybe they'd get lucky and the priest would choke on the uneven pasta shape before they moved on to the more expensive second course. (laughs) The priest strangler. I see. If we're talking about types. Types of shapes of pasta, yeah. Yeah, there are over 200... From Acini de Pepe to Ziti, 300 types of dried pasta in Italy alone. I read in Savoir that there are over 1,300 types in Italy. Um, but this may be that there are 1,300 names, but not necessarily 13 dis- 1,300 distinct shapes. By law, dried pasta in Italy must be made with durum simolina flour and water. And there are a lot of regional pastas, too. You've got... Orzo in Greece, Spätzle in Hungary and Germany, pierogi in Poland, wonton in China. Um, and the, rain, the main reason we have so many types has to do with all the different types of sauces and toppings. Certain pasta shapes are better for certain sauces, and certain flavors do better with lighter pastas versus heavier pastas, for example. Yeah. And, okay, this has to do with physics. What? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, because you're you're mostly talking about surface area and surface tension mm-hmm. of sauces here. Um, if you're going to consider pasta shapes, you've got a few categories to work with here. Like sheets, uh, long drapey noodles, short curly noodles, tubes, uh, button or shell shapes, and dots. And these are all going to affect how your plate of food looks and how you physically get the pasta into your mouth. Correct. Important considerations, Mm -hmm. or or fail to do so in my case sometimes. Me too. Uh, Plus, the surface area of all of these different shapes affect how the sauce interacts with the pasta. Like, think about it. Like, if you blob an equal amount of marinara on top of an equal weight of cooked lasagna sheet, uh, spaghetti noodles, and macaroni elbows, the the, the wide sheet is going to look like an open-faced sandwich. The spaghetti is going to kind of mix into the sauce or the sauce into the spaghetti, and the macaroni and the sauce are going to sort of incorporate. If you add chunks of, say, grilled zucchini on top of any of those, you're going to have to go through different methods to get a bite of pasta plus sauce plus veg into your mouth, considering each shape. Right. And furthermore, the surface tension of the sauce is going to come into play when, if, if you've got like a, if you've got a noodle shape that's cupped or, or curved in any way. That creates an opportunity for the sauce to, to stick to it in a way that sauce normally wouldn't stop because sauce is a flowy thing, sure. right? It's like a scoop. It's a scoop, yeah, sure, sure. But, um, but the same way that if you carefully add water to a glass, mm-hmm. it will dome up above the lip of the glass, Hope, hopefully if, if the glass isn't like razor thin at the top. Um, the same way that that happens, the sauce can kind of pool almost outwardly in specific types of, of shapes of pasta. 
So the curvier it is, like at, at certain points, the more the surface tension is of the sauce is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Also, within all of these shape categories, you can have a whole spectrum of, of thickness or thinness of the pasta, and that's going to affect the, the mouthfeel, the, the chew, and your basic ratio of like pasta to sauce in any given bite. The thicker the pasta, the more it will be featured on your palate. Mm-hmm. And of course, how the pasta is physically made makes a difference here. Handmade pastas have a little bit of variation in, in thickness from piece to piece or even across a single strand and thus draw more attention to themselves in your mouth. They, they give your brain something novel in each bite. Uh, machine-expressed pastas are uniform and will highlight the sauce more. Ah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then you've also got the potential for surface texture. Is the pasta smooth or ridged? Like a, like like ruffles have ridges. Yeah, pasta right. can have ridges too, sure. Um, ridged pastas create greater surface area for the sauce to stick to and also a little bit more potential for, for greater surface tension, meaning that you will get more sauce flavor with every bite. It also creates like a lumpier or, or chunkier mouthfeel on the pasta itself. Ooh, and Annie's making a happy face. I'm mm-hmm. guessing I'm guessing those are those are the ones that you like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite dishes in Atlanta. Ooh, oh, Boca Lupo, so good. <laughs> I was just, I was talking to Joe about that when we we started. I started talking to him about the pasta he was eating. <laughs> You're interrogating him. I, I bet kind of was. <laughs> And okay, all all of this has been a lot of words and and very little practical advice. I would say that traditionally, the the only rule, as as you said earlier, Annie, is to kind of match the the delicacy or not of the sauce to the delicacy or not of the pasta. Like the the texture of of angel hair or or orzo would get lost in something really chunky, a sauce made of like whole roasted cherry tomatoes and chicken sausage slices and a spicy tomato puree for just just off the top of my head. Uh huh. Uh huh. But something like a curly fusilli or like a, a ear or shell shaped amorichiette would be really great for a sauce like that. Contrary-wise, a light garlic cream sauce with wee clams or like a brothy summer sauce with chopped fresh tomatoes and basil, those would get lost on those chewier pastas. And meanwhile, neither of those types of of pasta shapes would really highlight a medium-heavy sauce, like say a a meaty ragu or like a heavy cheesy cream sauce. You'd want a medium pasta for that, like a rigatoni or a pappardelle. Mm -hmm. But... More buts. All that being said, there are so many shapes of pasta and so many types of sauces. And depending on the effect you want, I, I think that you can really play with a with a sameness or a contrast of textures and do different stuff. Yeah. One of my favorite things um, researching this episode has been reading the opinions about pasta shapes from uh, chefs. Oh, Yeah. And the the shade they'll throw, like macaroni. <laughs> oh, people don't out. like macaroni. Oh, no. It's great. I, I was reading some of these things like hand to heart, stunned <laughs> at the like, language you used. You like clutched your pearls. Yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> um, and one of my other favorite things is in late 2017, David Rudnick, who is a graphic designer and a pasta expert, okay, he ranked lesser-known pasta shapes based on how good they taste and how well they do with sauces. Um, for this ranking, he made charts, rubrics. He wrote short reviews like this one for Fusilli Bucati. Fractal pasta with near-infinite surface areas. <laughs> or this description of the Trine as... Triangular shape almost conveys Blade Runner-esque neo-future noir <laughs> and cold, heartless form befits our age. <laughs> that is pretty delightful. Wow. Yeah. He, he did this for many, many, many types of pasta. I've got to say I've never thought – I've never had an emotion about Blade Runner and pasta in the same <laughs> sentence. Well – it's it's time to start thinking about Blade Runner when you eat pasta, Lauren. <laughs> oh, apparently. Apparently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely seek that out if you're interested. It, it was very, it was wonderful. David Rednick, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Italians eat an estimated 60-plus pounds of pasta a year. For Americans, that number is around 20 pounds. So they've got us beat there. For once, we are not (laughs) doing the most of the eating of something. Well, congratulations. To someone. Yeah, I'm not sure who in this (laughs) case. Yes. Depends on your outlook. Yeah, like I feel like we're losing out. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, So we do have a general pasta history, an overview perhaps. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get to the bottom of the question, where did pasta come from? Just telling, gonna, you, just telling you right out. Yeah, because no one really knows. Oh, okay. And it actually— That's fair. It spans a wild amount of time, a, a huge range. But we will look at some of the more plausible and some of the more ridiculous, because they're fun, theories. And I would wager that when most of us think of pasta, we think of Italy. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of pastas didn't originate in Italy, a lot for a lot of them, it is their home now. Italy kind of made them their thing. And in fact, in Italian, the word pasta translates to paste, which I suppose is what you use to make pasta. Um, I'd also wager that many of you have heard the tale that in the 13th century CE, Marco Polo brought pasta to Italy from China. This is based on a mistranslation of Polo's travels journal, describing a tree that made something that sounds like pasta— um, nowadays, academics think Polo was describing the sago tree, which makes a starchy paste-like, <laughs> paste-like, true, but pasta-like um, <laughs> foodstuff. Mm-hmm. But there were already written mentions of pasta in Italy at this time, pinned while Polo was gone. One mentioning a soldier with a basket of macaronis in Genoa, Italy. Macaroni, by the way, comes from the, from the Sicilian word for energetic kneading of dough. A century earlier, Al-Adrisi, the Muslim geographer we've mentioned before, wrote about the wrote about some pasta he saw while in Sicily. The 8th century CE Arabic invasions probably were behind the spread of pasta to Italy. Um, on the flip side of the coin, noodles existed in Asia long before Marco Polo arrived there as well. It probably originated in Central Asia and then spread westward from there. 
Some historians even argue over whether or not an Italian tomb dating back to 4th century BCE depicts pasta-making equipment, suggesting that it is way older than previously thought. However, that's just about the only potential evidence of pasta in pre-Roman times Italy, so it probably isn't a pasta-making device on the tomb. But something else. Um, It wasn't until the 1200 CE that pasta mentions grew more and more frequent. Macaroni, like we mentioned, gnocchi, vermicelli, which translates to little worms, by the way, Hmm. ravioli among them. Um, And this was probably due to increased trade. Archaeological evidence of a Durham wheat noodle called lagagne, yep, that is the origin of the word lasagna, goes all the way back to 1st century CE. Um, And this was oven-baked instead of boiled. So that's a bit different than what we think of now. One of the first references of pasta being boiled actually comes from the Jerusalem Talmud and a discussion over whether boiled dough constituted unleavened bread. Ah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Thanks to its long shelf life, dried pasta was often found in ship stores, which helped it travel to new places. Um, and one of the first types of pasta was probably lasagna. The noodles were laid out in the sun to dry and then cut with a tool designed to leave behind those curly, interlocking edges. This was a popular choice to replace meat during Lent. Interesting since how most lasagna now has meat in it. Um, but it was first served in a similar way to flatbreads. Oh, or like an open-faced sandwich. Exactly. Oh, huh. yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Pasta makes an appearance in several Italian literary works. Author Boccaccio wrote something I can entirely relate to in 14th century CE. It was a fantasy of chefs rolling macaroni and ravioli down a mountain of Parmesan cheese. Oh, you silly. Um, (laughs) Another author, Franco Sanchete, wrote about pasta in 1390 CE, basically describing a situation of two friends sharing a plate of pasta and one eating way more than the other. (laughs) And this is something else I can relate to. My apologies to anyone who has ever shared food with me. (sighs) We work it out. It's fine. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And one thing to note, again, this early pasta was not exactly like our pasta today. For one, it was cooked a lot longer. There was no al dente, really, back then. Um, And it was mixed with a much wider range of things, like honey, a lot of sweeter things than we'll probably associate with pasta today. Probably the uh, the production techniques were were different at that time, leading to a, a different necessity of cooking. Yes, exactly. At first, pasta was another one of those aristocratic foods, a food fit for fancy feast. (laughs) A papal feast from the 16th century featured a ravioli with a paste filling of pork belly, cow udders, raisins, cheese, sugar, and herbs and spices. Probably less than 11. (laughs) Is that a a KFC reference? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) If you're wondering how pasta was made at the time, great question. Um, It was typically a mixture of flour and maybe breadcrumbs, although today's uh, standard pasta flour, semolina, didn't arise until sometime in the Middle Ages, uh, mixed with egg yolks and goat's milk, and then flattened, thinly sliced into strips with a roller cutter, and then left out or usually hung on um, some sort of rack or even kind of like a clothes clothesline type thing. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to dry. And once they were dry, you boiled them for up to half an hour, and then you covered them with your sauce and or topping of choice. Um, often after that, you'd bake it for a half an hour to melt the cheese. That was probably one of your toppings of choice. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Pasta's popularity in Italy soared to new heights in the 17th and 18th century, especially in Naples and Sicily, as documented by the poet Goethe. It can be bought everywhere and all the shops for very little money. As a rule, it is simply cooked in water and seasoned with grated cheese. This macaroni they served us was exquisite. The pasta seemed unparalleled to me in its whiteness and fineness. This is a quote from Goethe. Um... Part of this rise in popularity was because it was becoming more accessible to the common folks and increasingly a staple in their diet. People from Naples who had once been nicknamed leaf eaters now are called macaroni eaters. 
And all of this had to do with uh, with with first the the developing recipe for pasta that was being created, the the types of flour and the flour processing, and also specific for for Naples. Naples climate and weather was really particularly suited to pasta production because the the temperature there fluctuates from hot to chilly throughout the day, which helps form an ideal and, and even texture all the way through a piece of pasta. If it's too warm the whole time that you're that you're drying pasta out, your pasta will get crunchy. Uh. If it's too cool, it might not firm up all the way through into the middle. Going back and forth will prevent a crust from forming but dries the whole thing out. Yeah. More like the texture that we're used to today. Sure. Mm-hmm. One reason posited for this shift of pasta from the aristocracy to the commoners, which I always feel so haughty when I say that, um, <laughs> is that um, they, the commoners no longer had um, access to meat or could no longer afford it, perhaps, or at least not as much of it, and wheat had become cheap. There was also the whole religious thing, no meat on Fridays, what have you. But the big one was industrialization and the invention of a mechanical pasta press to help speed things along and make the process less expensive. Oh, yeah. There are several steps in pasta making that cost a lot in terms of time and and labor. Uh, Mixing the dough, rolling out the air and excess water, cutting and shaping the pasta into individual pieces, and drying it out to give it that texture and make it shelf-stable. Mm-hmm. And yes, pasta did become associated with poor people and beggars after this. But the upper class did still enjoy it, in particular King Ferdinand IV of Naples, who, according to written accounts, used his fingers to stuff macaroni in his mouth. <laughs> Multiple people wrote about this. Oh, wow. He was a big fan. Okay. Um, And if you're wondering about that line from the song Yankee Doodle Dandy, like I was, stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. This was British. It was a British diss of Americans. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Calling them both poor and poorly dressed. Um, But it wasn't because of the macaroni eater insult. That's what I thought. Um, Nope. It had to do with this young group of highly fashionable British people, um, really posh, really rich, and they loved macaroni. It was their favorite dish, so it kind of became their nickname, the macaronis. Uh So that line is essentially saying to Americans, you can stick a feather in your cap and say you're a macaroni, but you're not really a macaroni. You're a fake. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just funny because I i don't know. I've, I guess I've always been wrong in this, but I, I always thought that was a patriotic song. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, all right. I, it, that's what it's packaged as these days. So who knew? How interesting. Mm. Um, in 1787 CE, speaking of patriotic, guess who most likely introduced America to its first pasta-making machine? Thomas Jefferson. Popping up again mm-hmm. at Jefferson. Um, and remember how Europeans thought tomatoes were poisonous. If not, check out our tomato episode. That's one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, because of this, because they thought that tomatoes are poisonous, it wasn't until 1790 CE, the first published recipe for something like our modern-day spaghetti with tomato sauce appeared in print. With the arrival of Italian immigrants to America in the 19th century, this dish took off, sort of. Not immediately. Sure. But eventually. (laughs) Um, Also in Italy, pasta was viewed as more of an appetizer or a side dish. Americans were largely the ones that turned it into dinner, the whole shebang. The main course, yeah. Right. This was probably because of the American preference of having some type of meat or protein with their starch. So Italian-American restaurants combined the two. Or perhaps um, it was that homesick... Italian immigrants, unable to get their hands on too many foods from their home country, apart from spaghetti at the time, started using it more frequently and in a larger role at dinner. And then throughout the 18 and 1900s, advances in technology would change how pastas were manufactured, making them even cheaper and even easier to produce, but also changing a few qualities of the pasta along with that. And we will get into that after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. 
salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit attcom hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So this is sort of our science section, and uh, let's let's start as it is easy to write with a question: <laughs> How does pasta come in all those fun shapes? I have no idea. Okay, well you can you can shape them by hand, and of course, if you want to do this at home, the internet is there for you. There mm-hmm. are so many videos; they're pretty hypnotic. But when you're dealing with machine processed pasta, you're talking about different methods or patterns of extrusion. Ooh, that word. I love that word. Uh-huh. Of all those mechanizable processes that I mentioned a minute ago, the most relevant to our conversation today is the, the cutting and shaping part, which is accomplished with extruders. In the process of extrusion, the dough for the pasta is forced through a a metal die or mold, and the size and the shape of the holes and and whether those holes are ridged or smooth and whether you're applying even or fluctuating pressure to the dough, all of those help determine the shape of the pasta that comes out on the other end. A coordinating machine can further manipulate the formed noodles, um, twisting or curling them, before or after cutting, usually before. One thing that makes a difference in the texture of your manufactured pasta, though, is the actual material of, of the dye mold that's used to shape it, mm-hmm. that, that extruder. After Teflon was patented in 1945, it began to be applied to industrial machines to prevent clogs and uh, to prevent food material waste, you know, getting stuff stuck in there, mm-hmm. having to clean them. It's a mess. When applied to pasta extruders, Teflon coating on the inside of the extruder lets the pasta dough just flow through the machine quickly and smoothly. Yeah. But this is not necessarily considered a good thing. No? No. Uh Uh-oh. As it turns out, the uh, traditional bronze dyes that were used to shape pasta, um, the bronze with, with its microscopically rough surfaces create microstructures in the pasta that mean that the finished pasta is a little bit more porous. And therefore, two cool things are happening. Mm -hmm. Um, The pasta has a greater surface area for sauce to cling to, and it's less dense throughout, which means that the the chew texture will be a little bit, like, lighter or fluffier. Mm -hmm. And the gluten structures in the pasta will also react a little bit differently with, with the water that they're boiled in. Teflon extruded pastas have been criticized for being too smooth, 
kind of like slimy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the microstructures in bronze-extruded pastas are a little bit more complex. There's, there's actually research being done into whether Teflon-extruded pasta is more digestible than bronze-extruded pasta for this reason. Of course there is. It's like, thank you, science. Yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. But yeah, so on the machine end, that's what's going on. But uh, of course, the texture of your pasta is going to have something to do with your cooking technique. Yes, it is. And, oh man, I, I, I almost don't know what to do with your non-sauced pasta concept because, okay, uh, normally whenever you're cooking a a pasta and a sauce, what you're going to want to do with it is cook it, cook the pasta to about al dente Mm -hmm. in very hot water. You boil the water, then you drop in the pasta, cook it as quickly as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Because the the longer that you cook pasta in water, the soggier it's going to get. You don't want soggy pasta. Mm -mm. Cook it at high heat very quickly. Um, And you want to stop it like a minute or two before you think it's really done. Right. Like a little bit before al dente, actually. Like when it's still a little bit too chewy. Stop it, drain it, let it hang out for a second. In the meanwhile, you should have heated up your sauce mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to, to a, good, a, good, a good firm simmer. So when you drain your pasta, you can put the drained pasta directly into that sauce and let it finish cooking in the sauce itself. That helps it absorb a little bit more of the flavor, Uh which is good times for everybody, hypothetically. Except Um, for me. (laughs) Except for you. Oh, and I don't, I don't know what to do about that. You're Mm. really, you're really blowing my mind here, Annie. I I guess, I guess my recommendation for you is to really watch that al dente thing, and then maybe add like, like reserve, uh, like a cup or so of your pasta water, Mm -hmm. and. Put the pasta back into a, a warm pan with a tiny bit of fat, like either olive oil or butter, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of the pasta water, mm-hmm. and that'll help it kind of like, like A, finish cooking just a tiny bit, and, and B, just get it get it good and tender and, and slippy. Ooh. Yeah. I feel like I have my own pasta consultant. This is great. <laughs> Can't wait to try this out. Yeah. Well, and, and that reserved pasta water is also a really good tip. But I'm sorry, this is a little bit more noodly. Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, I didn't even mean to do it until it was already happening. Uh, then, then, then a lot of the time I usually am. I didn't write this down. I'm going off the cuff. So, so hopefully it's all working out, y'all. But uh, yeah, the reserved pasta water is an important step if you're using a sauce as well. Reserve a little bit of the pasta water and that will, if, if you've poured into the sauce, that will A, help you manage the uh, wateriness yeah. of the sauce, and uh, B, adding a little bit of fat, like I just told Annie to do in a non-sauced pasta, that'll help um, A, create like a gluten structure in the sauce that'll help it kind of all stick together a little bit better, mm-hmm. and B, that plus the fat will create the kind of creamy texture that you're looking for. Mm. That is assuming a tomato-based sauce, or it would work in a cream-based sauce, always add cheese at the end. Always. If you've if you've added cheese to a cream-based sauce before you put the pasta in, I'm not sure that the water is a great idea. Ask the internet. The internet knows things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is a lot more uh, in-depth than I was expecting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, you can't just boil noodles and then put sauce on top of it. Man. That's, that's different. It's a different game. I've been pastaing wrong my whole <laughs> life on multiple levels. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with eat, eat food however you like to, man. I mean. Oh, sure. But, uh, I mean, growing up, <laughs> I would be interested to hear if any, anyone else does what I do. Yeah. Because no one in my family did. So my mom was banking it. She would, like, put aside some uh-huh. separate for me, and then she would mix it. For the rest of the family. Right. Yeah. So I just have a lot of experiments to do. I, had a, I have a lot of pasta testing to do, and I'm yeah. not upset about it at all. <laughs> Pasta soul searching. I like it. <laughs> Pasta soul search. My year of discovery. <laughs> Look for the book. <laughs> Every chapter is just, hmm, good. <laughs> I still like pasta. I still enjoy it. Nothing's changed. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have a, a section for eating technique, but we touched on that earlier. I don't really know how to properly do it oh, there's a spoon either. involved sometimes yeah yeah you get get like a few threads and then you get your spoon in the other hand and you and mm-hmm. you twirl 
Jay Z. Apparently, Jay Z. Contact us. Yeah. This is. <laughs> you and, know where to find us, Jay Z. And this is a food fact that uh, super producer Dylan alerted us to. I believe. Mm-hmm. I think this was a car car trip story. Yes, yeah, yes we it was. Recently took a field trip, and yeah, uh, a one of the writers on Gawker, I guess, was at a restaurant, and Jay Z was also there, mm-hmm. and she published a whole article about how well he ate the pasta. Yes, sounds like it. He has a flawless technique. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what happens when you're Jay Z. Maybe that's why he's Jay Z. <gasps> I never thought of it like that. Oh, heck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what we have to say today. Yes. Again. pasta and pasta shapes. And there's so much There's so much more. It involves fermentation. Yes. There's bacteria poop. I'm really looking forward to doing that in another episode. Right. And this was very much a um, – we focused uh, mostly on Italy, but uh, Asia has its own – Oh, I mean, goodness. a lot of places do, but Asia has its own noodle thing going on. Absolutely. Um, when I we didn't even touch rice noodles. Holy I know, heck. I know. Um, when I, I took a trip to Japan and I took a um, soba noodle making class. Oh yeah. From like a master soba noodle maker, and he didn't speak any English, and it was one of the most enjoyable and frightening experiences <laughs> of my life, because he was so intense. And he would just do a thing and then like Oh, be like be like, oh now, now you, do you it. go. And there was a sharp like slicer involved and And they go fast. They yeah, go. they move real fast. I actually have a video of it. Maybe I'll uh I'll Ooh, post yeah. it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, the point being, we have so much, so much more homework to do. Oodles of homework. <laughs> Oodles of noodles of homework, you might say. Um but that was a, a Hopefully enjoyable, digestible <laughs> pasta shape overview. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings us to... Listener Mail. Oh, sorry about Apologies. that. Apologies. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it goes off the rails. Oh. Yep. We should have, like, a, a musical album that's just a different listener oh, mail. <laughs> um, should we? Is that? <laughs> I guess should is not the correct word, but I feel like it needs to exist. Oh, uh, it's, gonna, it's really going to be the crescendo of our eventual musical. And now, I mean, Jay-Z needs to work with us. <laughs> that just makes sense. Yeah. That's dollars and cents right there, Jay-Z. Yeah, Jay-Z, have your people call our, our people. Mm-hmm. Okay. (laughs) Alex wrote, I have been listening to your podcast for a while now and often need to pause it to go eat my newest craving, which is whatever you are talking about. (laughs) Go get some pasta, Alex. Um, (laughs) A few weeks back, I found myself with the need to make homemade bagels, but I can never do things the normal way. I decided to make beer bagels from my new home brew. The bagels turned out very good and required only beer, yeast, flour, and sugar to make. I also wanted to tell you about a local food from here in Rochester, New York, called the Garbage Plate. (laughs) It consists of two cheeseburgers, mac salad, home fries, hot sauce, ketchup, and mustard. This is all served on one plate. When you receive the meal, you cut up the cheeseburgers and then mix everything (laughs) together. This delicious monstrosity was created by Nick Tahoe Hutz, which has actually trademarked the term garbage plate. (laughs) So while many of the restaurants in Rochester serve at least some version of the traditional plate, um, all have different names. The recipe that I have described is the traditional one, but there are versions of this involving hot dogs, beef brisket, baked beans, mac and cheese, and so many other options. The main idea is that you have one meat and two sides all mixed together on the same plate. The garbage plate has a cult following in Rochester, but can only be found within about 30 miles from the city. Neither Buffalo or Syracuse have taken to it the way we have in Rochester. This was a big deal having gone to college in Buffalo. I would need to drive 45 (laughs) minutes to an hour to get a garbage plate, and believe me, I did. There's a pretty big social aspect to the food as well, with there being a Hots restaurant in every suburb of Rochester that serves garbage plates to many a late-night partier. That does sound like the ultimate drunk food. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, And uh, he sent pictures, and I want one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Jamal wrote, I wanted to add on to Dominique's letter about the Canadian Heinz ketchup saga in Lemington. I was born in Windsor, Ontario, about 30 minutes from Lemington, and now live in Michigan, about 30 minutes from Detroit. It was very sad when the factory closed for many reasons, one being the ketchup not being the same anymore, as Dominique mentioned. Canadian Heinz was noticeably different than what we had here. Pre-2013, get yourself some Heinz from Detroit and you're greeted with the familiar vinegary tomato sauce we all know and love. But on the other side of the river from Detroit in Canada, you will get what we all recognize as ketchup, but the Canadian Heinzians must have had a sweet tooth because the ketchup was sweet. And not just the natural sweet of tomatoes. It was more. And it was fantastic! Maybe not for your body, considering the high fructose corn syrup, but oh, how did I enjoy it while it lasted. Not sure if y'all have seen the new thing around in the States, but ketchup-flavored chips are popping up all over here in Michigan. I say new with quotes because this has been the norm in Canada for as long as I can remember. And once again, the flavors are different, even within the same brand. Lay's is the go-to for ketchup. Haven't you had tomato ketchup? Yeah, I think we've Flavored got chips. I think we've got some in our cabinet here at work right now. I think that um, maybe Josh and Chuck mentioned it oh. on their show, and a listener sent in this like giant box of ketchup flavored chips. Oh, really? Yeah, and I maybe Ben found some somewhere on a road trip or something like that. Yeah, but so so I've I've sampled a couple different flavors of ketchup flavored chips. They're real great. I wouldn't say that they taste like ketchup. Oh, but there's like a tomato, like, Worcestershire almost kind oh. of flavor to them that I really enjoy. Sure. As chips go, they're tasty. I, you know, if, if y'all find them anywhere, I recommend checking checking them out. I'm going to keep my eye open. Chipping, perhaps in the break room. <laughs> <laughs> they could be very close right now. Who knows? <laughs> um, thanks to both of them for writing in. Yeah. Um, if you would like to write to us, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on social media. Yes. We're, we're available on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw. Also on Instagram at foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you so much to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, for not only his production, but his knowledge of Jay-Z. Thanks Very helpful. To, it is. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.